All right, y'all, welcome to another episode of the Good Newscast. As always, great to have you listening today. Uh, we are going through uh, the Bible Basics series on this, um, on our podcast episodes, following the sermon series we're doing um, at our church at Redeemer in Waco. Today we're talking um, briefly, kind of quickly, uh, the fall, uh, but but really in the larger context of covenants um, and covenant theology. Um, so this will be great. Before we start, um, we'll keep this under a couple minutes. So if you don't want to hear this stuff, just skip forward, but we'll get right into the heart of it. What question is an introduction question? Icebreaker. Yeah. What is a recent book you read? And I'll tell you what mine is, but what is a recent book you read or article? Yeah. Blog, whatever. Um, what is something you read that you found really interesting? Uh, or, or at least was impactful enough that you remember it on the spot without preparation. Yeah. So right now, cause it's really, really fresh is, uh, truths we confess reading that book right now. And Sproul was talking, uh, it's going through the confession. It's kind of a commentary on the Westminster confession of faith and, uh, just was kind of doing a deeper dive into the person of Jesus in terms of, um, being 100% God and 100% man, uh, two natures, one person, but just how he, he moved into those waters and some of the implications and the attributes of the human being human, the attributes of being God. And, and it just is like this whole week I've been thinking about that. I mean, um, last night we started as a family, <laughs> we started watching, uh, Amanda had recommended it. We finally did it because the first season was free, uh, the chosen and, uh, and seeing, you know, the person that's playing Jesus, but I have this now fresh thought of 100% God, 100% man, um, the attributes of God, the attributes of man. And when he suspends, right, he hungry and thirsty, that's man, that's not God. He needs to sleep, that's man, that's not God. Uh, there's this one scene when he's trying to start a fire, and, uh, and, and Ty turned and says, why doesn't he just snap the fire? He's God, yeah. you know? Yeah. But yeah. so uh, just that whole <laughs> dynamic, it just made me, th- I'm thinking about things I haven't thought about in a while, and it was yeah. just kind of fun, yeah. Mind-boggling stuff. You're doing that... Um this Sunday. This Sunday. This yeah. Sunday. Okay. Yeah. Two natures, mm-hmm. God and man. Um, as much as I will read about, you know, Jesus, one person, fully God, fully man. Um, as much as you read about it, there's still, I don't know, yeah. there's still a mind boggling. Yeah. Yeah. Thing blows everything. There, right. Um, I, you did theology truths. We confess by RC Sproul is phenomenal. If you want a good hearty theological text, I think I've recommended this before, Yeah. but you don't want it to be like sometimes, well, sometimes a lot of time I don't want to get into real heady, weighty, hard to read theology. Okay. That stuff's good. We need to do that. But this is a very readable, like, uh, clear. It's just clear. You can read one page. Yeah. And it's enough to chew on for a long time. But also, if you wanted to blow through 30 pages, you can also do that as well. So yeah. R.C. Sproul was a master communicator. Hmm. Um, I felt very clear and took, you know, uh, big ideas and thoughts, brought them to the ground uh, so that I could understand them. Yeah. Um, so what about you, dude? What are you reading? I've read a couple of interesting books um, recently. 
you did theology. Uh, so one kind of non-theology book I read was, um, oh shoot, it was by, it's by Abigail Schreier. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce her name. She's a journalist, I believe. And it's about the transgender craze going on right now. Huh. Um, I don't know why the title is escaping me. Yeah. But um, it's about the transgender craze going on with um, particularly young girls. Hmm. And it is it is a must read if you want to be in the know. Actually, let me tell you why it's a must read. So just like yesterday or two days ago, the Supreme Court nominee yeah. was asked, can you define what a woman is? I saw that. She said no. Uh, because I'm not a biologist. Okay. That's like saying, can you tell me if it's raining outside and you say, no, I'm not a, you know, meteorologist, right? <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, to some people that may come across as like, what in the world? Like, why did, why did she say that? This yeah. book by, um, I think her name is Abigail Schreier, journalist about the transgender craze will, um, answer that question for you. Basically the gist is historically trans transgenderism has been, a tiny, 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 you know, um, minority of people who dealt with it personally and typically males. Yeah. And like in the past decade, we are talking, you know, a thousand percent increase among people identifying as transgender and it has flopped to be females, primarily mm. girls. So her whole book is investigating, is this a biological thing happening or is it a cultural craze? And she makes the argument, the conclusion, which is undeniable that it's a cultural uh, craze going on right now. Then the cultural craze means what? Uh, you basically just have tons and tons and tons as, of girls in particular, uh, tons and tons is an understatement, coming out identifying as transgender. Uh, you have um, the people who should be adults in the room, such as teachers, um, at parents. schools, parents. The interesting thing about the, actually, well, this is getting a little long, but uh, it's particularly teachers, counselors, doctors, who are the ones who are wholesale um, flinging these girls and boys, of course, but again, it's flopped to be predominantly girls yeah. into their transgender, uh, their, their transition. So rather than, you know, heavy investigation, rather than taking into account like, hey, you're nine years old and it's common, it's very common for a nine-year-old to grow out of this feeling yeah. of being transgender. Rather than that, it is like, um, let's not tell your parents because they're going to be the biggest obstacle in this transition. Let's get you on hormones mm. and let's potentially bring you to the place where you're infertile. You'll never have kids again if you ever decide, you know, you want to have kids or you realize uh, you're actually not transgender or whatever. Um, so the book will totally freak you out as she did maybe thousands of hundreds and hundreds of interviews with parents of transgender kids. It was actually the parents who oftentimes were, um, they were, they, oftentimes the parents were open to transgenderism. We're not talking about people who were against it morally yeah. or any reason they're open to it. But yet uh, time and time again, what she found was they were completely shocked by their child coming out as transgender because they showed zero signs. And it was typically followed by a um, heavy inundation in social media. So these girls would, so she does all this research into like YouTube and social media and how there's this just massive community out there that is, um, that is teaching kids essentially how to be transgender, 
how to lie about, you know, when I was five, I felt like a boy, right? You have to, you mm-hmm. have to lie and make that up and tell that to your parents and tell that to the doctors to get what you want. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I highly recommend the book. It's totally freaky. It'll, it, it is well-researched. It is a data driven book on every single page. And again, if you go, what? that sounds random for my life. Supreme court justice right now asked what's a woman. And she said, I don't know, man. So is it more, more like the, she said, need, I can't answer that. The really. need for acceptance, the community. So again, it becomes it's huge on that popularity boost. Yeah. Right. We're right. always told like, um, the transgender community or the homosexual community, you know, they're just these like highly persecuted yeah. community, which of course there are instances of that. Of course I'm not, yeah. You'd be stupid to deny that. However, what she found was a lot of it was driven by actually trying to find inclusion and so, popularity yeah. where kids would come out and they would be wildly accepted in their school. Attention for yeah. it by their teachers, by their justification. Classmates. Yeah. Golly. Anyways, um, yeah. irreversible damage. Boom. That's what it was. Irreversible damage is what she called is what the title of the book is. That's a- All right. We spent nine minutes on that. I, Apologize to no one. Um, okay. Let's talk uh, covenant. So we hit creation. God creates yeah. all things out of nothing. He creates his prized creation, mm-hmm. man, yeah. man and woman in his image. He then gives them the world, says this is yours to rule and enjoy as these benevolent rulers, uh, showing forth something of what I am like as your benevolent good God. Mm-hmm. Um and then all chaos breaks loose. And I'll let you kind of take it from there to go into yeah. covenant theology. Yeah. So covenant theology, um, really think of it, think of it this way. It's like the architecture of the Bible. Um, it's like the skeletal system of the Bible. So if, if you get into the bones of the Bible, you're going to find a covenant and you're going to find, uh, basically two major covenants in the Bible. So what, what is a covenant right off the bat? It's a, it's a relationship, but it's a kind of relationship. It's a binding relationship. So, um, you, you think of even the old ways and rituals of, uh, covenant making in ancient history and even modern, there's this sense of two parties, uh, committing themselves, binding themselves to each other. And usually the binding, well, what's the binding? The binding could be one of you do this and I do this. And that's the, that's the bound. That's the binding that holds two people together. Uh, well, in the ancient world, that was called a Susan vassal treaty. Uh, and then there's another kind of binding that's just radically different. One person's making the binding. There are two people involved, but only one person's doing all the binding. Um, and so in the Bible, we, we find uh, not just um, in the skeletal architectural structure, we find not only um, the dynamics of grace, but we find the dynamics of performance. We find the dynamics of work. So we find the dynamics of God binding himself in grace to sinners, and we find God uh, creating a creature and creation by which uh, that creation is to live by every word that comes from his mouth. So there's this sense of living by his word. Um, God said, let there be light. And then light said, and there was, and we go through all the realms and kings, little kings of creation till we get to the prized creature who was to be the ultimate 
uh, image bearer who lives and feeds and moves and has his being on the words of God, right? Um, and God gave him those words in the garden of what he could uh, eat and what he couldn't eat, and uh, and Adam and Eve wanted to be more uh, and did not find their justification, their life, their um, Lord and God, and God in his words, and found it in themselves, and that tore the original covenant. So the original covenant creation was one in which God spoke and the servants said, yes, sir. And the servants lovingly uh, responded to the love of their father. Um, And that is how the whole universe holds together. And so that's why this is the bones, not only the Bible, but it's the bones of the world. So the world, uh, as we know it, is worded. It's upheld by God's word. So if God didn't say, let there be light, right, uh, nothing happens. Uh, And if light said, let me think about it, then everything falls to pieces and unravels. So if light would have done it, if the sky would have done it, if the seas would have done it, if the land would have done it, everything would have torn to pieces. Uh, And then when everything, actually all of creation hangs on the and there was response of the loyal son, the loyal servant, uh, Adam and Eve, um, that split, that tear uh, wrecked everything. And so that's the original covenant at creation. That covenant creation is what theologians have called the covenant of works, the covenant of law, the covenant of life. Um, and that's the major bone structure of the Bible and the major bone structure architecture of the world. And so the covenant of grace comes in where Jesus now, God now binds himself to sinners and the cords grace. But the question is, well, how could he do that? How can he bind himself, uh, to a sinner? Uh, and that's because there's a mediator or there's, uh, someone who takes Adam's place and actually fulfills the original covenant at creation, that original covenant of works. Uh, and then actually, too, in, in the history of the Bible, the one that fulfills the law that was written on, written on tablets outside of us, not just inside of us like in creation, but outside of us in the, the law, uh, there's a true Israel that fulfills that. So Jesus comes in as the true Adam that actually puts creation on his shoulders, a new creation, and is the loyal son, and is the loyal servant, and does respond, and there was. And in fact, you'll recall that the first, when Jesus is um, anointed with the Spirit and his public ministry begins, the first thing that happens to him, he's taken into the wilderness and Satan tempts him. And the first thing Jesus says is, you shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, he, uh, in all senses, the way the Gospels are laid out, is doing what Adam didn't do. Even in the genealogies of like Matthew, it goes all the way back, or Luke goes all the way back to Adam. Uh, and in the genealogies, it, it highlights that he's not only the true Adam, but he's the true Israel and the way the Gospels play themselves out. So in a nutshell, again, summary, covenant theology uh, technically is a binding relationship. There are two kinds. There's a binding that can be um, all word 
God speaks, you respond in obedience. So it's a, an obedience, it's a performance, it's a works, it's a law response binding. Uh, that's how creation was made and that's what's disintegrated and fallen to pieces. And that's why you have this, all of us have this law written on our hearts and we feel the law in us. We feel this need to justify our being and we're continually frustrated and righteousness is continually elusive uh, and you never can be enough and never can do enough. And then the moment that Adam and Eve um, didn't fall to final condemnation, something new was in the works. Um, there's a covenant of grace. Some Grace entered the picture the moment that Adam and Eve did not mm-hmm. finally and fully die, right? And so that's when we get the announcement in Genesis 3.15 that there's going to be someone coming. Mm-hmm. And so from that moment, you think of putting a dot there and then drawing like a, a huge dome arc over all of creation, over all of redemptive history, and over all the Bible to the last person on earth before uh, the final comes is under a covenant of grace. So we live in a covenant of grace right now. Um, that's how the church is functioning. Even this world is actually here because that covenant is at work. Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow, that's a lot to digest right there. I think to, to elaborate on a couple things. So one is, you know, a lot of times when you read the Genesis account, Genesis account and you get to, um, you know, don't eat of this one tree. Yeah. I think a lot of people can feel like I have felt plenty of times, like, man, this seems so random. Like what this just feels random. It feels like this one random command in the middle of a blissful life with God. Yeah. I think that this gives to understand the covenant of works gives better context. Um, I don't know exactly the right way to say it to really understand that this isn't this random command. This is how life was to be. Yeah. God speaks and I listen and obey. Um, You know, it makes me even think of, think of my own kids right now that they're still at the young age where so much of our relationship hinges on to a certain degree, my ability to speak and them to obey. And I don't mean hinge like my love for them. That's not what I mean. Right. But I do mean like our day to day back and forth and, and living in this loving relationship. Like if they're always bucking my word, bucking my word, bucking my word, there's gonna be so many rifts in our relationship on a day to day basis. So I think that that's helpful to understand is the covenant of works is when you look at that, this isn't this one random command. It's no, this is the covenant God was making with man. Um, I speak, you listen and obey. And, and of course we see that covenant broken. I think what's also helpful that we, you particularly, but, but we just as a church here draw it a lot is why is it that we just feel so deeply in our hearts a performance mindset, a a law-driven mindset, a I will be enough and be satisfied with who I am and I will have a relationship with God and all these things if I do fill in the blank. Yeah. Well, when you look at the covenant of works, you look at how the world is created, you look at how the fall happened. Okay, wow, it makes perfect sense why we all feel that way. We're living in this reality of a broken covenant of works where we have not done enough. We haven't done what we're supposed to do in Adam. Uh, The covenant's been broken, and the Bible says the law is written on our hearts. So I think another key component of this too is understanding the law. God speaks his law, and we either respond and say, yes, sir, 
I'll do what you tell me to do and avoid what you tell me to avoid, whatever. Or we got, I'll do it my way. Um, that law is actually written deeply on our hearts yeah. where, where um, it, it is so, it's natural to us to go, oh, you gave me those 10 commandments. I'll do all 10 of those plus some, you know, um, I can do that, you know, and then if we're honest, we find I don't do any of it. It's so good. So you, you go back all the way back to creation and you really can see how justification was never achieved by Adam. Yeah. And so within the human heart is the need to be justified. If Adam would have made, I mean, theologians, uh, speculate like most call that what happened in the garden with those words it was they call it a probationary period this wasn't supposed to go on okay 10 years you know then you're then the then creation goes forward to glory i finally justify you you've obeyed me enough times uh it was really just that moment um that time uh of obedience. Mm-hmm. And that's why in Romans, it'll call Jesus did one act of righteousness to summarize his whole life and specifically, more focusedly, his death and resurrection, right? His life of obedience. So you get back to creation and that's what you have. I mean, you, you, I lost my train of thought. Go. The, it, wouldn't it be, uh, you, you were saying that that oh, frustrated! Yeah, justification was frustrated. It never happened. Yeah, so yeah. life never happened. Adam and Eve were supposed to put creation on their shoulders and take it forward to glory. Glory never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now that's what we feel. Yeah. We live this life of uh, frustrated uh, justification, frustrated glory. We long for a, a final and full consummate reality. That's not here. Um, we feel it in our relationships. We feel it in our gut. Um, yeah. So it's existential. Certainly it's the human condition, certainly, but it's rooted in the bones, the architecture of reality, which is creation covenant, and then God saying, I'm going to have another Adam who's going to be the architect of a covenant of grace so that God now can bind himself to sinners and a whole new creation. So I think that the, the other thing on my mind of just that how I think this is so helpful is that it, it helps you understand the whole storyline of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, where, you know, I think for a lot of Christians, the Old Testament is just perplexing. And it's like, why, you know, why, what is Leviticus, you know, and who cares? And now, you know, let's just get to the New Testament. But this, this helps understand the, from our perspective, the slow burn of the Old Testament, where, where in Genesis three fifteen, as you mentioned, God says, uh, the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head, crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel. In, in other words, someone's coming. Someone is coming. And, and as you said, all of creation didn't just go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so, so the question is, when you're reading the Old Testament again and again and again, is God, what are you up to? Yeah. What are you doing? Why, why are we not all dead? Why? That's because that's what we deserve right now. Yeah. That's what these people I'm reading about deserve right now. That's what Israel deserves right now. Moses, David. So, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, you know, we oftentimes when we see you know moments of just uh, judgment in the Old Testament, we're like, man, um, how could God do that? 
no, no, no. That's the wrong question. The question is, why is that not happening constantly? Why are we here reading about it at all? Like, you know, why was it only a hundred people killed in judgment? Why was it not, you know, why was Noah spared in his family? Yeah. Why wasn't the whole thing wrapped up and done with? Point being, the slow burn of this Old Testament is, God, what are you up to? The covenant of works has been broken. Yeah. What is he up to? He's up to a new, better covenant of grace where where that he is going to restore relationship he's going to have relationship with people and it's not going to be based on their works their performance or who they all who they are at all this then when jesus shows up you go oh okay this is the substance of the covenant right here this is god fulfilling doing establishing in full this covenant that we've been seeing these shadowy pictures of the snake crushers coming a better Moses, a better prophet's coming, a, a, a king who's going to sit on the throne forever, unlike David, you yeah. know, this eternal king. Where is he? Who is he? Jesus shows up just like Adam. He's tempted by the devil, but what? But what? He fulfills righteousness. He obeys. He does what he's supposed to do in every single way. He is the, the, the perfect human fulfilling all righteousness. Oh, okay. That makes sense. We didn't. That's what we didn't do. Yeah. So he did what we didn't, he did what Adam didn't do. He did what I, okay, I get why, okay, he's righteous. He takes the curse on himself. Cursed as anyone who's hanged on a tree. Okay, there's the curse falling on him, not me. Yep. You know, so he takes the curse and then resurrection life. Okay, we're headed to glory. Yeah. We're headed to glory. Not because I did anything. I didn't fulfill the covenant of works. In fact, I break it and thought we're need every day. Uh, I, I transgress God's law every day in some form or fashion. And yet I'm still going to glory. How is that possible? Yeah. Covenant of grace. Yeah, covenant. It's possible because he has covenanted to his people by grace alone. Unconditional. So then what ends up happening if you want to take a deeper dive into kind of the storyline of the Bible. So we have the covenant of creation. Then we have a covenant really of a new creation, the covenant of grace. Um, so the covenant of grace stretches from the moment Adam and Eve are still breathing and didn't go to hell, didn't go to final and full death or condemnation to whoever the last elect person is on earth, the last person that, that Jesus saves on earth. There's this, that's the stretch of the covenant of grace. It goes that far. Now, when you go into the Bible, um, Everything that happens, really, the rest of the Bible is under the covenant of grace. So you want to read contextually, you want to read historically, the original historical meaning, you're going to find there's a lot of little L covenants mm-hmm. in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and that's why the, the when it gets to Jesus, it's called the New Covenant, right? And those historical embodiments are just historical embodiments or manifestations of the covenant of grace mm-hmm. uh, in a progressive way, just like a story unfolding the storyline of the Bible. So at first you have Abraham where you're promised that uh, you're going to be a people, there's going to be a people, there's going to be a place, and there's going to be a king. Then you get to Moses and and it starts happening, right? It's all promised to Abraham, but then at Moses, oh, we're, we're moving towards a people, we're moving towards a place, we're moving towards a king. Then when you get to David, you get the king, and you just see the pieces. But these are, mm-hmm. these are historical embodiments of the covenant of grace. They're not the grand architecture. The grand architecture of the Bible is the covenant of grace, moving from seed 
or acorn to oak tree, and Jesus is the oak tree. He shows up, and that's what's called the new covenant of the covenant of grace. Just sometimes we get lost in those weeds and don't understand, wow, there's seven covenants, ten covenants, twelve dispensations. What are we talking about? You're talking about an architectural structure of two major covenants, covenant of grace and a covenant of uh, creation or works. The Westminster even highlights that the covenant of grace was um, administered through even um, all the different little shadows, all the sacrificial lambs that couldn't actually take away sin. This was this shadowy picture of the covenant of grace where the Lamb of God would um, be slain. So even if you want to dive deeper or at least get a really good kind of snapshot, the Westminster Confession on... um, the covenant is helpful, at least for a little snapshot. You can follow some of the uh, scriptures that are referenced there too. Uh, all right. Hopefully this is helpful. Uh, next week we'll do, um, we'll talk Jesus, uh, his natures, God and man. And obviously this is really just following logically that we're talking about the covenant of grace and the substance is Jesus. So we'll talk who he is and then we'll get into why he came, what he did in the coming week. So until then, peace. Peace.